You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Man, I'm excited about today's message. Um, Been looking forward all week to getting to come and talk about this. So just love this series, love the the subject matter behind it. It's some of my favorite stuff to talk about. If you've got a Bible or a smart device, I want to encourage you, invite you to turn or swipe with me to the New Testament. Um, That's the second uh, big section of Scripture in the Bible. And we're going to be there in the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, We call those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, because gospel means good news. And those four books in particular are such good news because they tell us of the life and this, uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be digging in to one of those teachings here this morning. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we'll land there in just a minute. Uh, today we're in part two of a series that we kicked off last week. It's called The Best Investment. And so um, over four weeks total, we're considering how putting Jesus first in the areas of our time, talent, treasure, and testimony is the best investment that you and I could ever make. And last week in part one, we talked about how we uh, use or invest our time and that we will always have time for the things that we put first. And for today's message, we're going to zoom in and talk about our talent. Talk about our talent. And as I mentioned last week, the premise of this series is, is that our default mode is uh, to operate from a scarcity mindset, usually. Like, that's how we, uh, we tend to, just as our, it's our human nature, just uh, the approach that we take towards life and the world and the, the people that we interact with, that, that we tend to operate from a scarcity mindset. And in case you're unaware of what a scarcity mindset is, according to WebMD, um, a scarcity mindset is when you're so obsessed with a lack of something that you can't seem to focus on anything else, no matter how hard you try. And so last week, we talked about the scarcity mindset when it comes to our time is the statement, I don't have enough. That's kind of how we operate, that there's never enough time to get everything done that we would like to get done. And, And when we shift our focus from time to talent, the scarcity mindset is found in the statement of, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Anybody ever felt that way before? That they weren't good enough? We got a few honest people in the room. The rest of y'all are liars. <laughs> and and the, the truth is, is that that statement, I'm not good enough, that on a basic theological level, that, that, that is correct. But, but the other truth that, that goes along with that and, and the reason that it, it, it turns into a scarcity mindset um, in our lives is that we fail to recognize Um, that we have a good father. We are not good enough in and of ourselves, but we have a good father who does good things for us and gives good things to us. The scriptures are clear about this. Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, it says, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Continues in the book of James, this same kind of thought or idea. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our father. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Paul writes about it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You know, I often hear people talk about two things in particular that they tend to struggle with. And these are are usually connected together. One of the things is that, that people struggle to understand why they exist. 
Why have they been placed on this earth? They kind of, uh, a lot of people tend to look at it as, as um, you know, kind of the Forrest Gump model that we're just a feather floating around on the breeze, you know, and they, they have difficulty understanding, like, what's the purpose of all of this and, and wrapping their head around that we're here for a reason. And then the second thing that people often struggle with is they struggle to recognize God's blessings in their life. I have people tell me all the time, I just, I can't see how God is at work. I can't, I, I'm, I'm unable or I have difficulty understanding the way that he's moving in my life. And, and I, I typically respond to those people with both a statement and then a question. And, and that statement and question are highlighted in the passages of scripture that we just looked at. And, and I believe the scriptures are clear about two things. The first one of them being the statement is that you were created on purpose for a purpose. All of us were. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. You are not existing just by happenstance or coincidence. You are here for a reason. You matter and the life that you live matters. The second thing is is the question that I would ask. It's simply this. What do you have that you have not received? I mean, think about that. What do we have that we have not received? Because we cannot buy into the lie that anything we have or anything that we have done is because of our own merits. Because the truth is that everything that we have or everything that we have done is because God has given it to us or allowed it to take place. That is the truth of the matter. And when we come to realize that fact, it places a responsibility on us to then begin to live differently. It's a shift in our mindset or, or in our approach. Because the lie is that we are owners and are therefore in charge of our lives, start to finish, front to back. But the truth is that we're not owners. Instead, we are stewards and God is the one that is in control of it all. And and in fact, this this concept, this idea of of stewardship, it's central not only to how we utilize or invest our talents, but also to the investment that we make with our time, our treasure, and our testimony as well. So we're going to zoom in on this idea of stewardship today, but know that it, it really applies in all of these different facets of our life. And a steward, it's a word that we don't really use all that much, um, especially anymore. And so to catch you up to speed, here's a definition of steward. A steward is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as the agent of another or others. And so here's how it works. God is the owner He gives us good gifts, and then we receive those gifts, and along with the receipt of those gifts, we embrace the responsibility of of stewarding or managing them in accordance with the guidelines and the directives of the owner right? It's kind of like when you enter into a rental agreement to rent someone's home or whatever. You sign this big packet of of papers and you're going to live there for a while. And there's certain expectations that you have to live up to or that you have to agree to and abide by um, if, if you're going to rent that house or if you're going to rent that building for your business or whatever. The landlord, he is the owner and he places these stipulations. He said, I'm going to allow you to use these things under certain conditions. That's what God is doing in our lives. He is the owner and he gives good gifts to us, but he does so under certain conditions with the understanding and the expectation that you and I are going to steward those things well in accordance with the guidelines and the principles of his word. And so then the question becomes is like, well, what does this really look like on a practical level? And and the good news is is that the Bible is chock full of examples of proper stewardship. And and perhaps the the greatest example of stewardship is found in what is called the parable of the three servants. Or perhaps you've heard it called the parable of the talents. 
And a parable is simply a short allegorical story that is designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. And the Gospels are, are cover to cover. The, the Gospels are, are full of these various parables that Jesus used to illustrate different principles of the Christian faith and what the kingdom of God is like. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to walk through this parable from Matthew chapter 25, verse by verse, section by section, in the attempt to mine out some nuggets of truth that we can apply to our lives to become better stewards, particularly in the area of the talents that God has blessed us with. So let's jump in. The parable of the three servants or parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. It starts this way. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So it's important for us to note right off the bat here that this parable that Jesus is telling us, he's telling his, his followers, those that are, that are interested in following after him, the, the parable he's telling, it's painting a picture that represents the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how it operates. And so what this means for us is that those who wish to be or claim to be part of God's kingdom should reflect the principles of this parable in the way that they live, think, and behave. Okay? And so the master here who is getting ready to go on a long trip, he, it says he entrusted his money to the servants. And so here's where stewardship comes in. It's not our money, it's his money. He's the owner, we are the steward. That is set up from the get-go right here in the first verse of this story. Everybody with me so far? Verse 15, let's continue. It says, he gave five bags of silver, or perhaps your translation says talents. I'll explain that in just a minute. He gave five bags of silver or five talents to one, two bags of silver or two talents to another, and one bag of silver or one talent to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And he then left on his trip. In this parable, Jesus is using money as the object that is given out, this bag of silver or this talent. And, and a talent, um, in this case, is a measurement of weight. It's not a skill, okay? So a lot of people, we read that passage and we kind of, uh, we, we misinterpret it or, or misunderstand it a little bit. It's not a talent like I'm good at playing the guitar or anything like that. It's, those aren't the talents that he doled out. Um, it, the, these were actually weights of, of money or, or valuables. And a talent weighed approximately 75 pounds. And according to scholars, would have been equal to as much as 20 years salary. Okay, so these, this money that he's giving out, this is not like an insignificant amount. It's not just some pocket change. Like he's being purposeful and intentional. And this is some like some world changing, some life changing stuff. Like imagine if on the way out of church this morning, I stood there and I handed all of you 20 years salary, like on your way out and said, you, you go and do something with it. Like, like your life would be changed today, right? Um, I hate to break it to you, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I would love to, but we're not going to be able to do it. But that's what is taking place here in this story. And, and so it's important for us to understand that, that while the example in this parable is actually money that is being given, the talents or, or the bags of silver, they actually represent the bigger picture of opportunity particularly the opportunity to use one's gifts, abilities, and resources to serve the master, or in our case, to serve Jesus. And, and whenever we read verse 15, I don't know about you, but whenever I read verse 15, my natural response or tendency is to compare, right? Because we read that one dude got five, one dude got two, and another guy got one, and I start to think about those guys who they are. And why did one guy get five 
and one guy get two, and, and, and the third only got one. And I begin to think, well, what's wrong with this dude that just got one? Like, he must have been some schmo or something. Like, he was like the servant that, like, like he was probably related to somebody, you know? And, like, the master, like, felt obligated. Like, well, I can't leave this guy. I'll just give him one. No, like, it's, it's not like him. But, but, but our, our, our mental capacity and what we do as humans, we, we naturally go to the realm of comparison. And here's what Kerry Newhoff says about comparison. He says, there is no win in comparison. So when we begin to view things from that, we've lost already when we, get, when we, be, when we begin to view things from that standpoint. And here's why. Because comparison is the thing that destroys opportunity. Comparison will destroy opportunity because we want to think things like when we compare, we think things like this. Well, he got more than I do. He's got more than I do, so I can't do as much as he can. Or she's better than I am, so I guess I'll just let her do it then. Or sometimes in the church, not this church, but like in the church, we'll say things or we'll have the mindset of, that's what the pastor and the church staff are for. After all, that's why we pay them. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. Let me just take a little sidebar and show you this right here. Paul says this. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Note that it doesn't say their responsibility is to do the work of, no, it doesn't say that. It says their responsibility is to equip the people. I have a responsibility as your pastor. You have a responsibility as my flock, that we're both responsible to one another. My responsibility is to equip you. Your responsibility is to do the work of the church. Amen? Everybody with me today. Somebody check your pulse. We all doing good. Okay, it's going to be okay, I promise. I've heard some people say in regard to a specific facet of ministry or serving the Lord, particularly, uh, and and this happened to me, um, uh, especially when I was a children's pastor, because I was always trying to like work my way out of um, a, a kid's environment or a classroom. Uh, and get somebody else to do what I was doing and equip and empower them. And um, I really love to teach. I especially love to teach children. And I was really good at it. And so I would get people in those kids' environments and I would show them and, and, and teach them how to teach children. And they would look at me and they would say, I could never be as good as you, which was super flattering. Nobody says that about pastoral ministry. They said that about children's ministry. Nobody tells me that about lead pastoring. They never look at me and say, well, I could never be as good as you. They look at me and say, yeah, I could probably do what you do. <laughs> yeah, we could probably train a monkey to do that. Yeah. But see, here's the truth. <clears throat> the truth is, is that there was a time when I wasn't as good as I was. Think about it. There was a time when I wasn't even as good as me. The difference is just reps. It's repetition. See, somewhere along the line, somebody had to give me the opportunity to serve or to teach or to lead, right? There was a time in the gym when I couldn't lift as much weight as I could lift. The difference was I just went and I laid down on the bench and I just I, I pushed the weight up. And then the next time I increased it and I pushed the weight up. And the next time I increased it and I pushed the weight up. And that's what's turned me into the Roman God that stands before you today. (laughs) There was a time when I wasn't as good as I am. But it's just the reps. Someone had to get out of the way and give me the opportunity. And so my responsibility as your pastor is to get out of the way and to give you the opportunity. And the second piece of this is that I had to take that opportunity and put it to good use. See, whether you think I'm a good pastor or a good speaker or not, ask somebody who was here five years ago when I started. It's gotten a whole lot better since day one. 
Now, I'm much better than I was then simply because I've just done it more. But I also haven't arrived. And I realize that I still have so much more to learn and such a long way to go. But I'm a whole lot further along now than I was back then. And it's simply because I've done it. That's the truth with anything. What we do, it increases and we get better at it. We get more comfortable with it the more and more and more that we do it. But here's the thing. Had I chosen to focus on comparison, where I have to be given the opportunity to pastor this church and come in here and go, well, I could never do what Pastor Jim did. I could never do what Pastor Buddy did. Here's the thing. God didn't call me to be Pastor Jim or Pastor Buddy. He called me to be Pastor Blake. I don't have to be them. I just got to be me, right? And so had I chosen to focus on comparison, I would have never taken advantage of the opportunity to utilize the gifts that God has given me. I love what Thomas Edison says about opportunity. This is one of my favorite quotes ever. He says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. (laughs) It's hard. When we're given opportunity, it's not necessarily something that's going to come easy to us. We see these, these uh, uh, you know, I play the guitar a little bit, but we see these guys up here and, and, and musicians and stuff and then, then play. It's, it's because it, 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 didn't, it didn't just happen to them. Like they, they spent time honing their craft. I met somebody one time that I was leading worship at a, uh, helping to lead worship at a kid's camp and, and one of the people that were there said, oh, this guy over here, he plays the guitar and he'll help you this week. Great, man, we need all the help that we can get. And he, he came up to me and, and we were, you know, getting to know one another and, and everything and, and talking and kind of putting a plan together for how the week was going to go. And, and in, in the midst of all of that and, and us talking and everything, he, he revealed to me, he said, Jesus taught me to play the guitar. That's great. Then I heard him play and I said, bro, Jesus needs to teach you to practice. You may have the opportunity, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta like take hold of it, and it's gonna be hard work. You can't just just rest on your laurels and expect it to come to you, right? Another part of this is that the the master gave gifts in accordance with each servant's ability. This doesn't mean that any of the servants were better than the others; just that they were different than each other. And see, often we desire the gifts and the talents of other people. And we look at other people and we say, man, I wish I could do what she does the way that she does that. Or man, I wish I could be like him. You know, man, I wish that I could be like Pastor Craig Groeschel and pastor the largest church in America with like I don't know, it's I can't I'd have to take off my shoes to count that high how many campuses they have and all that stuff. I wish that I could be like them. But what we fail to realize is the responsibility, uh, uh, the burden of of the responsibility that comes along with with being like them and doing the things that they do. As I mentioned before, we weren't meant to live out someone else's calling. We were just meant to live out ours. And make no mistake here this morning, God has given every single one of you exactly what you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. Simply put, whether you're the five talent guy or the two talent guy or the one, like what God has given you everything that you need. It is, you have access to it. It is at your disposal for you to do and fulfill what he's called you to do and fulfill. Let's continue. Verse 16. It says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Here's what I see going on. Investing, working, digging a hole. 
it's all hard. When the master gives gifts to us to, to, to steward, it's, it's not easy, right? It's, it's difficult. But the principle here is that whatever God has given to us, it's been given for us to use for him. And so the, the expectation from the start was that the servants were going to invest what the master had entrusted to them. An investment can be scary because investing requires us to get out of our comfort zone. Investing requires us to let go of what we have in our hand. It requires us to make sacrifices and it requires us to trust in the process of what God is doing in our lives. And the first two were able to make the jump, but the third servant, he chose to play it safe because he wasn't willing to take the risk. And we all know the adage, no risk, no reward, right? And soon we're gonna see just how true That statement is, verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. You and I, right now, in this moment, we are living in between verses 18 and 19. The master has given us gifts, and he has gone away. But the time is coming when he is going to return and we are going to have to give an account. We're going to have to stand before him and and tell him how we utilize the gifts, the talents, the resources, everything that he entrusted to us. J. Vernon McGee talks about that moment. He says, the Lord is not going to ask us how much we have done for him but how faithful we have been to that which he wanted us to do. See, the master's primary concern wasn't the interest, it was the investment. It wasn't how much did you gain, it was did you do anything with what I gave you? Did you take the risk? Did you step outside of the comfort zone? Here's what we see, verse 20. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. It continues. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. They made this great investment, and the master says, let's have a party, and we're going to celebrate by me giving you more work to do, right? Like that was, that was the reward. And both of these servants, they, they recognized that the success that they were experiencing would never have been possible without the master's initial impartation of gifts. That they would have never been in the place that they found themselves had he not entrusted them with his money in the first place. And it was the risk of the investment that led to the return of the interest. And because they stewarded well, they received a reward. And the the reward was that that each servant proved that they could be trusted with even more responsibility. And as a result, they received it. And, And the principle here is that when we steward the gifts of God properly, we can expect to receive further blessings. And often those blessings will look like more opportunities for us to roll up our sleeves and get involved in the messy, dirty work of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our community. That's what it's going to look like. Verse 24. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, 
harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. See, while the the first two servants focused on the master and his generosity and what he had entrusted to them, the third servant put the spotlight on himself. He said, oh, I knew what was going on here. And, And then he arrives at the place where he says, I was afraid, so I hid that sound familiar to anybody? Genesis 3.10, watch this. Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. What? Just like Adam and Eve, this servant had misunderstood the assignment. See, misunderstanding God's word, misunderstanding the the word and the intentions of the master, it leads to sin every single time. Inappropriate behavior, the kind of behavior, the kind of decision-making that separates us from the master. Sin will always lead to fear and hiding because sin brings about guilt and shame. See, ultimately what was going on here is that the third servant didn't fully trust that the master was a man of his word and that he would one day return. So he set up a contingency plan. He thought, if I invest this, I could lose it and have nothing. And so if the master doesn't come back, if I hide it over here, then I'll have something for myself. And so what he had done is he had substituted service for security. He held back on his opportunity to invest so that he'd have something for himself just in case. And as a result, he failed to bring any increase to the master's estate. Here's how it ended up. Verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant or given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This third servant was labeled as lazy and wicked and useless. Not three things you and I want to be known as, right? And see, the irony is, is that though he refused to let go of what he had, he still lost everything. See, all three men, they were servants of the master, but they clearly had different relationships with him. The third servant's relationship was based on religion. He lived his life. He spent his time just trying not to do anything wrong. It was driven by fear. He said, I was afraid, so I hid your money. But the first two servants' relationships, they were based on readiness, They weren't concerned with not only doing right, with living a lifestyle of holiness and righteousness, but also actively, faithfully, and responsibly serving their master to produce positive results. Where the first servant was driven by fear, the the, the third servant was driven by fear, these other two, they were driven by faith. And here's what James says about that kind of attitude. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Continuing on in James chapter 2. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith is dead without good works. There's two possible outcomes with our life. Reward or regret. See, the first two servants, they received a reward. The the reward was praised from the master and increased responsibility. But the third servant was cast into outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) That's what I imagine. It's one time. You have to go back and watch the YouTube video for that one. Now, 
lot of people think that this is hell. It means that, that, that he was banished to hell. But no, he, he wasn't sent to hell. We, we are, because the, the, the fact of the matter is that we're saved by belief on Jesus as Lord and Savior, not on our own works or our, our own abilities. It's all because of what Christ has done, not because of what we do. So let's not get that twisted. But this was a place of great regret. It was the place where this third servant was thinking about what he could have, would have, or should have done for the kingdom. He saw the success of his fellow servants and realized that he had totally messed it up. And it's that feeling of, you know, like when your parents say, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Sometimes that's worse than the punishment. That's where he had arrived. And he realized of what he could have done and what he could have been a part of. But because of his choices to not take the risk, to play it safe, even the things that he had were taken away from him and given to others. And he had to watch that happen, right? And the big idea, if you're taking notes, maybe, maybe you want to write this down. The, the big idea of, of this passage, I believe, is, is simply this. It's that what you aren't using, you'll end up losing. What you aren't using, you'll end up losing. And so the question then becomes, well, how can I ensure that I'm a good steward of the gifts that God has entrusted to me? So very quickly in, in closing, I, I, I want to give us two ways that we can be sure that we're a good steward of the, the talent that God has given us. How to be a good steward of the talent God has given us Two very simple ways. Number one, figure out what God wants you to do. Figure out what God wants you to do. Some of you may say, well, Pastor Blake, I, I, I don't know what God wants me to do. And I would say, well, have you asked him? Like, yeah, it's really that simple. Like, have you ever just said, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? And then sat there and listened for a response. Not like asked him and then like got back to your video games or your Netflix or your job or whatever. But like asked him and then sat there until he gave you an answer. Have you made it a matter of prayer? Have you, have you consulted God's word to reveal and illuminate to you what he would have you to do? What about those that are in spiritual authority over you that you're in a relationship with? We, we talk about, there, there's a book called Hero Maker, and it talks about um, those that, that, you, um, that you oversee having these, what they call, I see in you conversations, where you pull somebody to the side and you're, you're empowering them, you're equipping them for, for the thing that, that they have in store. And, and you have this conversation, I, I see in you, in other words, I see these qualities, these characteristics, these abilities, this possibility in your life. Have, have, have you gone to somebody that you really admire, somebody that's clearly fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for their life and, and, and ask them, hey, well, what do you see in me? I'm having difficulty. Can you help me to discover what might be possible in my own life? And if you were to, if you were to come and ask me that question, I'd probably point you to um, something that we talk about in our Discover track. Uh, there's going to be a, a slide here. I'm going to explain this in just a second, but it's a, it's a Venn diagram. Um, and we talk about this in our Discover track. And, and part, of, part of Discover Track is, is we want to help people discover who, who they are, who, um, who God has made them to be, help them to realize their calling and um, the things that, that perhaps God is wanting to do in their life and then how that calling can intersect with the mission and the vision of this house. And so whether you're new to Christ Walk or you're old to Christ Walk or you're somewhere in between, if you haven't gone through Discover Track, now's your time. Like you need to jump in on this and we, we wanna come alongside and, and I wanna help you. I, I wanna be able to pastor you and, and point you in the direction of, of how God is wanting to use you and give you some tools, some handles, some, some, some scriptures, some, some incentives, some things to look at and to consider for how you might be able to steward well the blessings and the gifts that God has given to your life. 
And so what, what we discover typically is that our calling is often found at the intersection of three primary areas, our life experience, our gifts and passions, and then our pain. And we see these three circles overlap, and and right here in the middle, that is the sweet spot. That's usually where our calling comes to the surface. Our life experience could be like uh, our age and whether we're single or married and where we grew up and what our education is like and on and on and on. Our gifts and passions could be like like spiritual gifts or, or natural gifts or the things that just get you really excited about the world around you. And then your pain, this is the stuff that... I'm sorry that it's happened, but the truth is, is that there's purpose there. Like maybe you've experienced a a tragedy in your life, a loss of loved one, maybe a divorce or a health issue or or something like that. And and when, when when you twist all of those things together, this is a picture of who you are as a person. And wouldn't you just know that that God Almighty would see fit to call us to something that's going to fit right in the middle of exactly who we are. We were designed on purpose for a purpose. None of us, the things that have happened to us, the things that we are, the things that we've experienced, it's not on accident. It's all part of God's plan, setting you up to do something incredible for his kingdom. If we'll just steward it well, we got to figure out what God wants us to do. The second thing is this, faithfully use that which God has entrusted to you. Faithfully use that which God has entrusted to you. God never intended for the biggest impact we make for his kingdom to be the butt imprint we leave in the seat of the church auditorium on a Sunday morning. But for some of us, that is the case. And here's the truth of the matter. God doesn't need us. He doesn't. He doesn't need us. We're talking about the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. He does not need us one iota. But the good news is, is that the God of the universe thinks enough of us, his prized possession, to include us in his plan. I can't get over it. And what's more is that he didn't leave us empty-handed. He didn't call us to some great work and say, well, there you go. Try to figure it out. No, like that's not the God that we serve. Rather, he gave each one of us good and special gifts so that we could play our part and that we could fulfill the unique purpose to which he has called us. And here's what we have to understand. Our responsibility is obedience. His responsibility is the outcome. The servant's responsibility was simply to invest what they had been entrusted. They didn't have to worry about whether or not it would bring any interest. Our responsibility is to simply be faithfully obedient with the things that God has given us. And his responsibility is to worry about the outcome. That should take the pressure off for everyone. Because here's the truth. God's vision for his church always move at the speed of his people's obedience. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. God's vision for his church will move forward at the speed of his people's obedience. We talk about a lot of things around here about reaching more people with the gospel or, or the desire to see more salvations and baptisms or, or launching a second service because it's getting too full in just our one service or, or building a larger building, particularly to figure out how to hold all the kids that God is entrusting us with. Uh, we've been having 10 babies in our nursery. What do you do with 10 babies? I don't know. But I know we don't have room for them. So we're looking at how can we expand? What what can we do? What do we need to do? 
How can we make a more significant difference in our community for the kingdom of God? We all want to know these things. We all, on paper, these things sound really great. And, and here, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the answer to all of this stuff. How do we do this stuff as a church? It's all possible if you and I choose to speak a simple word. Yes. That's the word. I'm a simple man. I'm a simple preacher. I understand the, God, uh, the, the, the Bible and the principles of God in, in very simple ways, but, but I think it is that simple that that's how we do it. It's about us taking a mindset, an attitude, a willingness just to speak one simple word, yes. It reminds me of that song that we used to sing in church when I was a kid that said, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When the Spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. It's that easy. It's that easy. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. It says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Sidebar, if you don't like the things that you're harvesting, start planting different seeds. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Good stewardship requires great sacrifice. And with great power comes great responsibility. All of those things that Stan Lee taught us. It means that we're going to have to show up probably a little bit earlier than everyone else. It means that we might have to stay a little bit later after all the other people have gone home. It means that we might have to work a little bit harder. We might have to, to roll up our sleeves or our pant legs because we're going to be getting into some situations. It's going to be muddy and messy and yucky and gross. And make no mistake about it, it is not going to be easy. Whoever told you that was a liar and you can't trust them. It is not going to be easy, but here's what I do know. It will be worth it. And I've come to discover that if something is easy, it's probably not worth doing anyways. What you aren't using, you'll end up losing. See, the easy thing is to sit back and do nothing. But I want us to consider, what if we chose the opposite? And we decided that, it's worth the risk to say yes and to invest the gifts that God has entrusted us. How could your relationship with Jesus change for the better? What, what greater responsibilities might God be able to entrust you with for the future? How might the lives of the people of this church and this community be changed as a result of your willingness? How might God use you to bring increase to his kingdom. I'll leave you with this. The end of your life, would you rather experience reward or regret? Those are the options. Those are the outcome. And both of those are yours for the taking today. You get to choose. Reward or regret, which one are you going to take hold of? I know what I'm choosing. Maybe the first step toward experiencing the reward of our Heavenly Father is to accept His Son, Jesus, as Savior. If you're here in this room, you're watching with us online, you've never made that commitment before, and you'd like to do that here. Today, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Can we bow our heads? Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm lost without you. 
I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way the rest of my life. Amen. And really quickly, before, oh, can you leave the TV there for just one second? I'm sorry. I'm throwing a curveball here. I want to teach you one more prayer that I think applies to today. It's something that when Luke and Avery and I, on the way to school, we interact with the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. We do a devotion every day on the way to school. And one of our favorite devotions is from um, a place called Steward Leader Ministries. And we just love the guy that's on those video devotions. And he closes his videos in the morning. Um, and we get so excited when he pops up. And he closes his videos with this prayer. And it's the steward's prayer. And I think it applies to us today. You want to pull out your phone and like snap a picture of the screen or I'll move the microphone so you can see it better. This is what it boils down to right here. It's this prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do today with all you've trusted me with to honor you and advance your kingdom? Like that's the crux of what it means to be a good steward. Lord, what do you want me to do today with all you've trusted me with to honor you and advance your kingdom. Because that's why he's trusted you with those things. So that you can honor him and advance his kingdom. And so in just a moment, you can take the TV now. Thanks, Linda. In just a moment, the band's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song. Seal this word in our hearts. And as they do, I, I wanna invite you to come forward for prayer. Love the opportunity to just lay hands on you, to agree with you, to believe for God to move in your life. Maybe, maybe you're here this, this morning and, and you're searching for clarity around God's calling in your life. I'm believing that God's gonna reveal that to you. Or, or, or maybe you need forgiveness for perhaps misunderstanding the assignment and mishandling God's blessings. Or maybe you just need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to continue to step out of your comfort zone and into God's purpose and plan for you and what he's called you to. As we stand together and get ready to sing, if that's you, you'd like to receive a touch from the Lord today. As the band leads us in song, I invite you to come forward to these altars and to receive prayer this morning. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.